That Kickstarter for Game Toppers is around the corner, Marty. Kevin, he has been teasing some shots. He's been doing some animation work. If you go out to his Facebook page, you can see all that he is doing to prepare for this Kickstarter. That's right. If you are looking to enhance that old kitchen table where you take your meals by putting a Game Topper on it, this might be your chance in his next Game Topper. That's Game Toppers LLC. It's also going to be adding some legs. Go ahead, Marty. It's got legs. That's it. But you can also definitely get the um, protector on top of it. And then as Marty pointed out in the last episode, and I have not done this yet, is protect those gorgeous mats. I think he's got some additional mats coming out. Haven't seen any pictures of those, but I think there are some additional mats that he will be putting out there for anybody who wants to lay it just across and... I mean, it's got this carrying case, Marty. I am looking forward to this. Just like where we go and at the um, local, where do we eat? McAllister's? That's it. McAllister's. <laughs> McAllister's. Where we go to game night. Hey, we can slap a mat down right there, protect it, and you have covered up all that stuff underneath. You know, I'm not going to get your pieces stuck. And that stuff underneath. Yeah, the, the dried ketchup, the barbecue sauce, that kind of stuff. I don't stuff. want to be putting my mat down on dried ketchup and barbecue sauce. I don't want to put my game on it either. Fair. Be sure to go check it out. That's Game Toppers LLC for all that information. Hey, y'all, it's time for an episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names recorded in front of a live studio audience. In this live episode, the guys review After the Empire, Spartacus, and the new versions of Ashes and Summoner Wars. Recorded in front of a live studio audience. I wasn't there live. I wasn't a part of this. No, here I am, a week later, recording, and the recording button wasn't on, so I even had to redo it. No, I can't do it live. I got to keep doing it here, over and over and over. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 227, Behold the Nightmare. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony, and this was being filmed, recorded before a live studio audience until we put them to sleep. That's exactly right. So as we teased in our last episode, 226, uh, we said we was going to stream this as we recorded so you can see the <laughs> magic behind what it takes to make an RDT an episode. And if you're listening to this and you didn't get to catch it, you can always go out to our YouTube channel where it was captured there. And so you can see all the silliness and craziness that goes on and see how a two hour recording ends up being 90 minutes because of all the junk that was taken out of it. So Tony, uh, this episode is called Behold the Nightmare by Smashing Pumpkins. I understand why you called it this, <laughs> because if you're watching this, it is a nightmare. I don't know this one. Is this a popular song by them? That I don't know uh, from that standpoint. But when I did a Google search, which is, uh, what, as you know, I saw everything I do right before the show. I mean, we're talking right on time stuff here. And when I did uh, songs about invasions, this popped up. And I said, oh, checkbox, checkbox. It's about a game we're going to be talking about. And it is definitely about us live streaming. Behold the nightmare. I don't need to go any farther than that. Then that's what it is. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, yeah, that applies. Okay. It's time to go upstairs. I got to finish up and get up there. Did you like Smashing Pumpkins? Did they do the Shrek song? 
The Shrek song. You talking about the remake of the monkey song? Yeah, no, that wasn't Smashing Pines. By the way, no $5 errors in this episode if you're uh, watching live. If you catch it after it's recorded, that's great. I don't remember who it was. It was a horrible remake. I, I don't remember. Okay. They didn't do the Friends show one, did they? There you go. So no, no, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. Like I said, type in songs about invasion and this popped up and I said, it could not be more perfect. And I know we haven't used it. Okay. I said I wasn't going to interact with the, with the chat as we go smash mouth. Cause a lot of people smash are mouth. probably screaming uh, at the, at, at the radio. A lot of people are screaming at the radio right now saying, many, you know, so that's two idiots. times you've air quoted. So are we going to keep it running tap? <laughs> So, so I know this is another, yeah, what? Big announcement. We got to kick it off with this. I know that's what I was leading to. I was, I was going to transition to it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your transition. I'm drinking Cheerwine tonight. Uh Uh-huh. And in the future, in about six to eight weeks, what will we be drinking? Sir, we will be drinking a peep flavored Pepsi because (laughs) thanks to everybody on Twitter who liked and shared the photo of me sitting on a lawnmower drinking a Pepsi, we won the Pepsi contest and we're being sent, I'm not sure how many cans, of Peep, four cans? That's it? That's it. It's four eight-ounce little cans, two of the same flavor and two different flavors, if I remember the image correctly. Wait a minute, you said four of the same flavor, two different? Two the same. Two the same. And then one... Another flavor and one another flavor equals four. Four. Okay. Math's hard. Uh, yes, it is. But anyway, um, yes, that's what, I, if I remember correctly, maybe they liked it so much that they'll send you a case. I don't know, but it's 3,000 uh, millions entered in 3,001, and we were one of the lucky ones. So thanks to everyone who supported that effort because we love tasting those weird flavors. And I am kind of uh, apprehensive about this. I'm not assuming this is going to be good. And it's funny, when I told Vanessa about she was excited. She said, you got to do this live, like on mm-hmm. video. I said, no, because hardly anybody will watch that most people want to hear on the episode. So Tony, if this works out okay, maybe in six to eight weeks, we do another live episode where we do the taste test for the podcast episode and uh, do this live so people can see it if they want to see how this turns out. A live action hurl. I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm Again, it's going to be super sweet and I only drink like zero sugar stuff now. So it's, it's going to be... It's going to be super sweet for me. But hey, I'm excited to try it. I'm excited we won. And uh, thanks to everybody who who shared it. Uh, also got to make a correction, Tony, from our last episode. I'm not done with that. I am not done with You're that. You're not done with that. No transition yet. Okay, I'm just going to slide away. So Pepsi Zero Sugar, which you have in your hand, have you tried the new Pepsi Zero Sugar Mango? <gasps> There's a Mango Zero Sugar. Yes. I didn't know this. I knew there was a Pepsi mango. I didn't know there was a zero sugar. In my grocery store, my local Harris Teeter or Food Line, it only comes in 12-ounce cans. So I got a, the two-liter regular Pepsi just to mm-hmm. make sure I could take. And I'm telling you, that when it put, comes up to your nose, that, that mango effervescence gets up in there. Effervescence? Like the band? They have a new song coming out or a new album. Oh, cool. I know you're a big fan of that. I am a big fan. So from that standpoint, I was like, I got to try these. So what if I... Go before game night. I'm hoping to go by the store, grab a 12 pack, and then I'll bring you a, a can of Pepsi Mango Zero Calorie Zero, and you can try it out and we can do a live taste. I've already tasted it. 
It's it's very good. I enjoyed it. So I tried a Sprite Zero Sugar over the weekend. Never ha- haven't. I was not a fan of Diet Sprite, but it was really good. Are you? You say you're drinking a cheer wine? Is that the Zero Sugar? Please, it's. Oh, is that a real one? Uh, cheer wine's only drunk real. No, I was asking because I never did care for Diet Cheer Wine, Mm-mm. but I saw in the store this week there's a. Cheer wine zero sugar. So Ooh. I wonder if they changed the formula. I'll have to go hunt that down. These were on sale at the Wally World, so I had to grab it. I love cheer wine. Oh, it's so yeah. good. And cheer wine uh, freezers or um, slushies. Oh, so good, so good. And for those who have no idea what we're talking about, cheer wine is, I guess, is only in the South. Is that right? Mainly in the South? I don't know if trucks can go that far, but probably, yeah. I know that it, they had it in Columbus because at the hot Nashville, hot Nashville chicken restaurant that we go to up there, uh, they had it in the in the freezer. And one time we went and I was with Rodney from Watch It Played. And I said, oh, cheer wine. And he tried it and absolutely fell in love with it. So whenever I see him, I try to throw some cheer wine into the suitcase so he can uh, smuggle it back across the uh, the line. I'm excited that we can transition now. <laughs> I'm done. Smooth. Just let's transition to your next point that you screwed up again. But you're costing this show $5 weekly, close to 15 All right, so I have to make a correction from our last episode, Tony. In 226, I felt pretty darn confident that there was an expansion to Star Wars Outer Rim. I honestly thought I had seen a press release for Star Wars Outer Rim. And in fact, I was potentially incorrect. Oh no, I know I was incorrect (laughs) because this past week, Batman 15 over on BGG sent me an email and he said, hey, uh, in your latest episode at about the 57 minute mark, you say there's an expansion of the Star Wars Outer Rim. I can't find that anywhere. Was that a mistake? If not, can you direct me where to find it? I love that game. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So I searched high and low. It's like, nope. And I said, sir, would you like a $5 gift certificate to Miniature Market? Went, wow, thank you. So I had to pay up a $5 gift certificate. That's the way to get everybody listening. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for catching that. There is no expansion of Star Wars Outer Realm. I think there should be. I think there should be uh, mm-hmm. like a Mandalorian. I mean, that kind of happens on the Outer Realm. I, maybe timeline that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But anyway, it'd be cool to have some new characters and some new, new locations and everything. So I thought there was. But then again, we haven't played it in so long. I was getting excited. Maybe another way to get it to the table. But now all my hopes are crushed. <laughs> dashed up against the rocks. Speaking of dashing my hopes against the rocks, and this is being talked about everywhere, Mm -hmm. this new Nintendo Switch game, Monster Hunter Rise. Five million copies have been shipped from Capcom so far as of last week. I'm trying. I am really trying. It's an amazing game. It's got the stuff I'll enjoy in it. It's got some crafting. It's got multiple weapons. It's got exploration. It's got little side quests you can do. Today, I was out there collecting mushrooms. But for the life of me, I can't kill a thing. I cannot kill anything. It's uh, I don't know. I'm not a monster hunter. Maybe I should be playing Pokemon Snap and be Monster Hunter Snap. Here's the thing. If you're facing real monsters, know that you're going to be in a fight Right now, for you and I, the first level, you're going to be in a fight for 20, 25 minutes before you win. That means a lot of potions for me. I'm just going to run around the world collecting the herbs. That's what I'm going to have to do. Hey, I do like that. Auto-crafting on the potions when you collect the herbs. So 
I guess it really turns on your weapon. So I'm doing dual swords. Dual, mm-hmm. yeah. dual wield. Dual you're, you're wielding, man. Dual, yeah. And uh, so they have a demon mode. And the, the bad thing about the demon mode, if you get hit, you're immediately knocked out of it. Uh, but once you go into it, it does some serious damage. And it's really a combination of, you know, a bunch of the A's and the whatever the button is. At the top. Always, X. Yeah, A's and X, you know, or, or hit them together. And then I just try to learn the the monster like the guy I was facing the other night had whip, would whip his tail. And when I would see it coming, you know, roll out of the way, etc. So it's just learning how to read the monster and use your weapon. So maybe the sword and shield is not the, the right weapon for you. It, it may not be. I, I don't know. I mean... I am trying to learn it, and I've got to learn the button. I'm just smashing A and X, A and X, A and X. Oh, good gosh, ZR. Oh, look, I launched some wire bug somewhere. A lot of fun. I think my buddies are doing more damage to the monster than I am. Your cat and your dog? The cat and the dog, cannon and fodder. Those are their names. That's good. It took me forever to come up with names. I don't even remember what their names are, but it's not that good. Okay. But so what you and I, so now that you you got a little bit of experience, you and I need to hook up and do some multiplayer. Yes. We, I, and I want to give that a try before I say, you know what? Going to the Discord channel, who wants it? Again, super popular game. Maybe actually game of the year from what a lot of people are saying. It's got really good reviews. And I am so proud of you for finally picking an electric power weed eater and blower. Both of mine went kaput. So mm-hmm. I had to get something and I went with the budget line, not too expensive green works so that each one has a battery. So I've got two charges and two batteries. That yard of yours, whew, I could see where you could go through two of them. Trimming takes no time because it's just trimming around the house mm-hmm. because they, with the zero turn radius, I can pretty much navigate wherever I need to go. Okay. Well, I got to use an electric power washer for the first time and that thing, I didn't think it had a lot of power. How does electric work? Because I'm looking at possibly getting one because my dad and I shared a gas powered and he said the engine's kaput. You're kaput in a lot of stuff. Everything breaks at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's a green works and it's a, um, so I was thinking that it was also battery, but it's not. You have to plug it in to build up all the pressure. It did a great job. I like how it did some easy cleaning and I like how Donna did the old uh, Tom Sawyer routine on me. She goes, well, I want to try it and wash my car. Well, Rebecca called her right in the middle. So I got to finish it and I hate washing cars. Oh, I hate washing cars, but it worked really well. And I was just like, okay, this is doing good job. This is doing good job. This is doing a good job. Don't, you can edit that. So, Nope. Nope. You can't do that, can you? So you know how one thing leads to another. So I finish up the car and this thing's out. Great. Now that song's in my head. Thanks. And then I moved to, well, the steps need to be pressure washed to get the uh, winter grime off of it, which then, oh my God, I just hit the sidewalk. So I got to clean that. I'll just stop at the first one. Oh, good gosh. I just hit the second one and it just led on. So two hours later, I don't know how much electricity I use, but I work for the power company. Don't, you know, that's, that's okay. But I, I would have probably emptied a couple of gas tanks there trying to get all that done. That's good to know. Cause I need one. Do you have the wand that has the rotating blade underneath it? Uh, my neighbor does, and he's going to let me borrow it. Oh, dude, do not do any of your decks or driveways or sidewalks without that. It does it in a fraction of time. Did you just listen to me? I just said I did my sidewalk. Don't do your sidewalk unless you get one of those little spinning attachment things. I appreciate that. Oh, that's a good idea. I think I will hold off on that. Man. Check this out. It's a book. You're reading. It's a yeah, book. I'm, pr- I'm so proud of you for reading. Does it have big font? <laughs> 
It does. This is a really cool book that we got from uh, Peterson Games. It's the Anatomical Guide to Lovecraftian Horrors. And uh, looking at it, and I can show, this really works well on a podcast. If I show you pictures, it basically it shows like different aliens and monsters and stuff. But it has like anatomical pictures of if you do like autopsies and cut them open, what they would look like. Isn't that crazy? So if I can go back to my monster hunter, so if I were to harvest them for parts, uh-huh. there you go. I could have my book, my hunter's notes. It has like little inf- bits of information about, you know, how big they are, where they're from and stuff. I don't know. This is a really cool thing to basically add to our Arkham Horror or Lovecraftian library. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vanessa, for Christmas, her brother got her a cookbook called... Necromanomanomanomanom. Ah, I see what they did there. <laughs> so all the recipes in the book are Lovecraftian themed. Has she cooked one yet? She has not, but she does have it on her bookshelf, and I'm sure it will come out. If we get to do barbecue this year, uh, I'm sure she will do uh, something. We should be able to. That should be a fun event, and hopefully things. We still got to figure out what we're doing for um, cons. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I don't know either. Do we even have the room reserved for the strike tournament at that time? Oh, we probably don't. Oh, oh, crap. (laughs) Write a note to cancel the reservation for the original Gen Con in August. That would have been bad. Yeah. uh, Rolling dice and taking names. You you have a deposit that you need to make for not showing up and doing your little tournament thing. Your little tournament. Use the air quotes again. So, yeah, I need to do that. I'd completely forgotten about. Oh, okay. You know, if I had Alexa up here, I'd yell at her and tell her to do a reminder for me. And then I hear that you also had another horror event. You were online learning how to play a coin game with our favorite person up north. Is that true? Cooper Libre? Is that it? Yes. Ah, coin game. Counterinsurgence game. I've had the game Cuba Libre on my shelf for years. Never played, and I was always intimidated by it. And I was always looking to, okay, how am I going to learn how to play this game? Is there any good tutorial videos? And they're all like super long. It was just one of those things. It was an achievement. I had it on a bucket list to get it done. So Rodney uh, from Watch It Played had played a couple games. And he reached out and he said, I know you have this and I feel I know it well enough to possibly be able to teach you. Are you interested? He's such a good friend. He's such a good friend. I said, yes, sure. Thank you. And he made a video showing how to set up the game. So he sent that to me. So I got the board out, punched. I mean, it wasn't even punch, man. Punched everything out, went through, got everything set up. It's like a normal game night. Okay. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm teasing you. That's fair. That's fair. I I deserve that. I deserve that. And so he said, all right, when you want to learn the rules, instead of me doing a video, let's just do a live chat, Zoom, whatever. And I said, great. So we get on and he basically has his board set up and he basically spends about an hour going through the rules of the game. And uh, it's like, I'm just, boy, it's just, I'm trying to soak everything in. There's so much going on. This game, uh, Cuba Libre, uh, historically is about, you know, Fidel Castro coming into power in Cuba. There are four factions. They're asymmetric. They all pay totally different. It's one of those things that, wow, I've got to learn what this one does and this one does and this one does. And he did an amazing job over that hour uh, teaching the game. By the way, we need to do another crowdfunding because for a private tutorial from Watch It Played is super expensive. So I'm just saying we may have to... um 
<clears throat> to dip into our bank accounts to cover that that cost. <sighs> okay, keep going. <laughs> so anyway, so over at Easter weekend, we started playing. Then what we were doing was, is he would take a turn and video it, and then send it to me. Then I would make those adjustments, video my turn. Well, we come to find out, we both had some free time just to be able to get on live. So then we started playing uh, back and forth and ended up playing through an entire game in about three days. Uh, it was about four sessions, probably took us three to four hours total to get it done. I tell you, man, I absolutely loved it. Loved it. So before I even played the game, I wanted to understand historically what was going on. And I found a documentary on Netflix called Something Something Cuba Libre, which is basically the history of Cuba. And it's eight episodes, and I watched through the fourth episode, which basically got me through the time period that this game was based on, so that I can learn about the history of the game. And then when I see these event cards, you've played Twilight Struggle, right? You know the event cards and everything, mm-hmm. they're historically based on things. Mm-hmm. When I saw these, I could appreciate what they meant. And the rules actually tell you the historical significance of each card. When I learned the players, like you know, Batista was the president, I had no idea who that was at the time. I didn't understand the fact that he was at first a good president, then he came into power. He was an oppressive president. Then Cast, you know, Castro said, "I'm going to come in. I'm going to liberate the people." That got people excited. And then Castro came into power. The rest is history. There, you know, went to communist, and that never goes well. So, uh, but anyway, so I understood all the players. So then I started playing the game, and I was playing as, "Oh, I, I know." this person, or I know this Mm -hmm. event from watching that documentary. But Tony, the beautiful thing about this game is, yes, it's asymmetric. We like our asymmetric games, but it's how the actions work. And from what I understand, a lot of coin games are like this. I also have Liberty or Death from my good friend, Harold Buchanan. Uh, Remember we did an event with him at Gen Con? Mm -hmm. I looked at it and it works the exact same way. So what happens when you turn an event card over? It shows you the order that the factions will activate that turn. And by the way, we did 2v2, so you each control two factions. So that, that's how that works. The first faction has a choice uh, to take an action. One of the actions they can do is take a regular action that they have an option plus a special activity. So it's like they get to do two things at once and the special activity is always good. If they take that, then the person who goes next must take the action that's adjacent that or right beside it, which would just be a limited action or the event. One of the options you can do is also play the event card, whatever's on the event. So you can take one of your actions. You can take one of your actions with a special action. You can play an event card or you can pass. And so a lot of people think, why don't you always do the special action with this special action? Here's why. It's because the event card I might not want you to do. So if I don't want you to do that event card, what I will do is just do a regular action with no special. And then your only option is to do what's called a limited action. Typically, when you take an action, you can do it among many areas or regions, a limited action, you can only do it once. So the first person has a big decision to make. Regular action, regular action is special, an event. And if you take the event, if me as the first player takes the event, you then have the option of taking an action with the special action. So I, I just love that. And then pass. There may be times where you decide I'm going to pass because once two people have taken their turn, they go to the exhausted area and then a new event card comes up. And the two factions that didn't go get to go this turn. So you're only really, unless you pass, you're taking an action every other event card. But it's that simple mechanic of 
which of these things am I going to do? Do I want to leave my opponent the option to use that event card? Do I want to leave my opponent the option to do a special activity? Do maybe I want to pass because you flip over the upcoming event card and it's like, ooh, I want to try to get that event and I see that my faction would go first in that next event. I'll pass and then wait for that next event card to come up. That is the beauty of the game that I love so much. One of the things about Twilight when I would play it on the iPad, never played it in real life, even though it's sitting on your shelves, it was not knowing the cards. Did you feel you were at a disadvantage for that, that you did not know the cards? The event cards or the faction abilities? Yes. Okay. The event cards, no big deal. They're really okay. straightforward. I didn't, it didn't matter. And you don't go through the entire deck. So what happens is uh, it's kind of like pandemic. So you have four mm. in this, in this game, you have four propaganda cards. You split the decks up into quarters, shuffle the propaganda card in each one. When you hit the propaganda card, you stop and then you start doing some evaluations. There's an income phase. You check to see if somebody's won the game. Uh, there's a, a few other things that you go through. But if somebody's won the game, it just ends. But if you get to the fourth propaganda guard, the game just ends and then there's a tiebreaker to determine who won the game. So the thing was learning what each faction does. So everybody had their own victory conditions. So I had to learn what each person's victory condition was, try to keep Rodney from winning his victory condition. He tried to keep me from winning his condition. Again, the thing was the action selection. That was the best part of the game. And now that I know it, I'm ready to teach it and play it with somebody. So if you ever want to learn it, like it's in my mind right now where I feel like I could teach it. But a big thanks to Rodney for taking time to do that because there's no way I would have played the game. I felt like I've leveled up as, as a gamer. That's an achievement unlocked. For me, that was just one of the things I always wanted to do. Like when I wanted to play a miniature game at one time, I learned how to play a miniature game. When I did, it's like, ooh, you know, achievement unlocked. I, I reached that point. I'm just sitting here thinking about that. I mean, is it something you can quickly pick up and learn? Here's the thing. The action selection, 100%, I can teach you that real quick. But what I can do is, and I got to give credit to GMT. Yes, the rule book, oh my gosh, it's dry. It's like the rules reference guide from FFG. You know how everything is like 1, 1.1, 1 1.1, 1 1.2. 1 1 I, you know, I can get into of, that. That's a technical manual. I, I can appreciate that. But there's not a lot of examples in that. Mm. But the faction cards, once you understand the wording and every little word must be paid attention to, then the faction cards, honestly, all you need. It kind of explains everything. If you're unsure of something, it does have a section that says C 3.4.5 to see what this really means. And then from that, honestly, you can you could do it. So I'm in to coin games now. I'm anxious to play this again. I'm anxious to play Liberty or Death because now that I understand how it works, it's just learning, okay, in this game, here are these four factions and here's how they work and here's their win conditions. But the my turn, I understand how my turn works. All right, tell me when. We'll make this happen. I'm sure we can figure it out. It'd be interesting to play with four people because each person's then controlling just one faction. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And time frame? On this, if you're talking four people, you know my limits. I don't know. Three hours? Four hours? Ooh. Wow. Mm. If it's your learning game, 100% three okay. to four hours. Easily. Well, you know where the grumpy meter is. When I started playing with Rodney, I wasn't even trying to win. I was basically like, I hadn't done this action. I want to see what this action does. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That's how that works. I'm going to do this action. How's this action work? So I was spending my time... And it's only like four actions per faction that you have to learn. And some of them are crossover. Some of them like have the same name and kind of work the same way. 
Okay. I was so happy to to be able to do that. And we're going to try to do a four player game over like play by mail sort of deal, play by video uh, at some point in time. So I don't forget how to do everything. Okay. Well, let's let's just get it planned. Figure it out. What is this crap that you have posted in the show notes about PSA, which is the ranking authority of baseball cards, is is saying no more. We can't handle the work. What is this? What is this crap about? So remember in the previous episode where I talked about people are like all of a sudden selling their baseball cards, Pokemon cards, magic cards, etc. Well, not everybody's trying to get them graded. So PSA is just overwhelmed and said, stopped. We're not taking any more new cards for the next quarter because we've got such a backlog to get done. And the problem is, they said, it's everybody sending in these new cards whose value will not be maintained and has taken off a lot of the people who are trying to get old cards graded. And then that's basically knocking them out of being able to sell their stuff. And it's basically just people going into a Target Walmart, buying a pack off the shelf, taking a rookie card and sending it off to PSA. That's a lot of money to, well, whatever. I, I don't know. It, it's insane. And today I just read that from the new Flesh and Blood uh, box is coming out. is going up like crazy. The Digimon, the Digimon collectible card game is starting to gain traction. I watched Alf Investments the other day. He said, is Pokemon in a bubble? He went, nope. He said, Remember a couple of years ago when you could have walked into anywhere and bought a box of Pokemon at a, you know, a discounted price. He said, those days are over. He said, I'm telling you, this is not a bubble. It may level out, but it will never go back to the way it was. Oh. So walking in to Goodwill two years ago. Oh boy. 300 Pokemon cards. Oh my gosh. For a dollar. I can't, and, I, and I've gone through all of Rebecca's stuff. That's the room, you know, I record in, and I can't find them. She thinks she got rid of them. She thinks she kept them. She doesn't know. And I'm like, oh, baby girl. She thinks she gave it to a friend of hers who was really into it. And I was like, okay, fine. Then I'm just going to stop looking for it. So I, I can't believe that, that, that it has gotten this crazy over these things. I mean, that's never happened to PSA before. Yeah. Basically, they, they raised their prices and they still got swamped. That's crazy. Well, mine are just going to stay here at the house. I'm not even going to worry about it anymore. I'm not going to even try to. I said I was going to get them to you to grade them. I'm, no, not going to deal with it. There are other grading companies, but they even said that Beckett may stop. And then there's another one like a BGS or BSG or something like that. There's, it's a cheaper graded version where the value isn't as much uh, if you get it graded from them. But anyway, so cards still going crazy and I, I missed the boat and uh, that bums me out. But you know what? I didn't miss the boat on is Cursed City from Warhammer came out. And this is the big co-op game that's based in the Age of Sigmar universe that introduces vampires. And I got a copy of it and I have can't do a full review yet because I've got everything put together. 60 models, they are all pushed to fit, incredibly gorgeous models. I only had to use one dab of glue. It did take me a while to get them together, but they're done. This is a co-op game that's played over the course of a campaign. You can play with multiple people and there's multiple characters that you can choose from. The character is going to level up and get special abilities over the course of the game. They have this really cool mechanic of day and night where uh, if it gets to nighttime, 
the vampires and the, the creatures of the night get more powerful and everything. There's there's several different types of missions. I know the first one is kind of an intro mission. It's called a hunt. You have monsters spawn. There's particular ones that you're looking for. Uh, it's kind of a way, in a way to introduce you to the game. So it was, that one's kind of easy. But like I said, as, as you go through the campaign, you'll face bigger, better monsters. You'll level up, etc. So I need to get some more time into this before I do a full review of it. And what's cool is even once you're done with the campaign, these models can be used in Age of Sigmar and hopefully uh, Warcry. Uh, as they introduce vampires, there's vampires coming out from Warhammer Underworld. So even once it's done, these models will still be used. And that's the beauty of this because I talked about Blackstone Fortress in the past, which is the, like the 40K version of this. But for me, I'm kind of an Age of Sigmar guy. But I said I didn't miss the boat because it's already sold out. So they went on pre-order, 200 bucks a box, gone. When something comes out from Games Workshop, and if you have a little bit of interest in it, you better pre-order it. What about from your overseas boy? What's Adam saying? Has he reported back on this? Of course, he's excited because he loves uh, he loves the vampire. And he's just like, I just want the vampire models. I am not may not play Cursed City, but I want to use them in Age of Sigmar Army. Uh, just like Warhammer Underworlds has a brand new vampire set coming out this weekend. So he's he's all about that. So anyway, I just wanted to mention Curse City uh, for Games Workshop. I didn't miss the boat on that. I just get, need to get some more time into it before I can really uh, give my thoughts around it. But I will say, models are gorgeous. At 200 bucks, I know that's insane. But 60 models from Games Workshop, that's worth 200 bucks Because the latest Warhammer Underworlds, which has four vampires, is 40 bucks. So that's effectively $10 a model that you're paying. And here you're getting 60 for 200 of them. Wow. Well, I'm glad you got it. And I'm glad you I'm glad you got it put together and I can't wait for you to teach me. You got a lot to teach me, man. So one thing I did finish was I know you don't care, but a lot of the people in Discord do. So I finished an anime show called Jujutsu Kaisen. Hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. I even took the time to look this up and you deleted my notes. Because it was it was shenanigans. It wasn't shenanigans. It was the truth. Tell me where I'm wrong. Go ahead and talk about it and then tell me how my notes were wrong and I will say my notes. It's not. It's based on a manga and it's it's a really out there story about a jujutsu sorcerer who swallows the finger of a cursed being and now that being is inside of him. So the goal is to try to get all the rest of the cursed fingers so that he can't reassemble and come and like be a bad guy. And when I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> so if this guy eats, gets fed cursed parts, the world's going to explode? Yeah, this is right up Marty's alley. It's an odd one. I will say the very beginning of it, we were really into it. As the further we went along, Vanessa's like, I am so lost. I was lost too. The past couple episodes, I was super lost. One thing is there's a lot of characters in it and I can't keep up with everybody's name. But anyway, it was recommended. Jujutsu Kaisen just came out last year. Uh, checked it out. I'm trying I'm trying something new, Tony. A new experience. I'm trying to do anime. Next thing I want to watch is uh, Demon Slayer. So I've heard that's uh, it's tw like 26 episodes. I heard it's a little bit easier to digest, somewhat like Death Note is. So anyway, so uh, I will check that out. This is obviously, I mean, the other night we were watching a CBS show. Shut up to me. Uh. <laughs> we were watching Clarice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, based on uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yes. And everybody says, oh, you don't need to have watched Silence of the Lambs. You'll understand it. You'll understand. So we're watching and Donna looks at me. And she goes, I don't understand this. And then we watched Debris. 
That one's going to be uh, that's a that's an NBC show, and I was I think it's NBC. That one's I thought sci-fi, weird stuff. I, I could do this, you know, X ish kind of stuff, right? Man, I just need something happy, and I don't have to think about it. That's where I am right now in my life. I can't I can't help it. <laughs> I just need something happy, and I don't need to think about I just, it. I just need, if I'm going to watch TV, just entertain me. And I know you got one more event coming up. You're doing something online again. No, I've already done it. Oh, you did it? Yeah, this past weekend was the Board and Dice Con, and I got invited to do a play, and I want to talk to you about this, because I got to do a demo of Zapotech, who is the designer of Kalimala and Ragusa. Mm-hmm. You liked Kalimala, right? Uh, that is the one that was, uh, oh my gosh, how can I make you remember this? Prevagen would help me remember this. Wow, if I showed it to you, you would know it, because you really liked it. I know you weren't a big fan of Ragusa, but I was going to tell you that Zapotec is more in the line of Kalimala than it is uh, Ragusa. Uh, so it has more of that same feel. So I got to play online. I, I enjoyed the game. Uh, it's pretty easy to learn. It's one of those games that moves quick. I like it because it feels like, oh my gosh, this is over before it needs to be over. I had so much more to do, which I appreciate. It's going to be coming out at the end of the year in the U.S. exclusively on the BGG store here in the U.S., but then will be released to regular distributors next year. So anyway, got to play Zapotec. I was excited to try that out. That's coming out from Boards and Dice. And I got to do this cool segment where we talk about our top five most iconic characters of all time. And that was a fun thing to do with like our buddy Scott Morris. He was on that too. And your top five iconic characters? Of all time. And what I did was they kind of left it wide open, but I did mine based on uh, medium. So I did one for literature, comics, TV, movie, video games. So let's see how good you are. Literature is going to be tough, so let's skip that. Video game. Do you have any clue who my favorite character is in video games? Your favorite character in video games? Ooh, I'm going to say Metroid person. Samus. Very good. Okay. All right. There we go. Nice. One one for one. All right. Comics. You might have a good shot at this one. Comics. uh, You're always DC, and I thought um, Green Lantern was your favorite, but it's actually The Flash. You're two for two. You're killing it. Mm-hmm. All right. It's going to be a little bit tougher now. So uh, movie. Movie. Your favorite uh, movie character? Iconic movie character. Iconic movie character. That would have to be, let's say, your favorite movies. Yeah, I'm not even going to get close on this. I'm going to probably go out there and just say Han Solo. You're in the ballpark, Indiana Jones. I was going to say Indiana. I was going to switch because I was thinking he lo- uh, he's like me. Harrison Ford's always his, one of his favorite actors. So, yep. okay. Indiana Jones. TV. Maybe you'll know. Buffy. Dang. If you could pull literature out, there's no way you're going to get literature. I, I don't think I've ever said this because I actually had to think about it for a second before I got one. It's like, wow, this is one of those characters that I read about. And then everything this character's in, I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Or the, uh, the world that this character's in. Um, that's gonna be tough yeah i don't think i'll get it because it's not anywhere near mine so uh it's definitely not harry potter and ones that you've read Mm, mm, mm. i don't have an idea who is it it is dracula dracula interesting i just always like vampire lore okay yes yeah and i read bram stoker and i thought man this is a really cool character and then i was watching all those old black and white dracula movies buffy you know has the vampire thing in it and i should have gone with it yeah so okay so i mean just out of curiosity do you uh i assume your most iconic comic book character is spider-man of course that's an easy one do you do you know what your video game one is 
uh, my video game one iconic character. No, because I'm I don't have that video game background like you do, where there was a series, TV or movie. Would you have one in either one of those? It'd be Indiana Jones. Okay, that'd be easy. That'd be easy enough. And TV is uh, probably Magnum PI. TV Magnum PI. Uh, well, it'd be <laughs> MacGyver. It, it, Tom Selleck. MacGyver. Captain Kirk. Kirk. Actually, it's uh, John Luke Picard. 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 There you go. Actually, I would have thought, I would have guessed a a Star Trek person. Yeah, and then as far as books go, it you know I've always enjoyed um, the Stainless Steel Rat series. I don't know that one. Yeah, there was a lot of books growing up, the Stainless Steel Rat series, um, and I forget the name of the character that was in it, so I'd have to look that up. But anyway, so my heavens, what an intro. Hold on, one thing left. One thing left. Today, the BGG Golden Geek nominations opened up. And after this intro, we appreciate your thought you were going to support us. (laughs) I guess I should have mentioned that at the very beginning of the intro. Yes. Um, So, yeah, when this episode comes out, there'll be like two days left in voting. We would uh, love your vote. You can vote for as many podcasts as you want. Uh, we've gone, got it like six years in a row for the nomination. Uh, bridesmaid is a okay with us. We would just like to be a bridesmaid. So we'd appreciate you going there, voting for your favorite game and, uh, voting for your favorite podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, we would, we would love a, a nod in our direction. I'm, I'm good with a sympathy vote. I'm happy with a sympathy <laughs> vote. Sympathy vote. Yeah, that's good too. So again, gold geek, uh, awards are up. And you can just go out to bgg.com and vote today. Miniaturemarket.com. If you haven't been out to their front page, their home page lately, you might have missed it. They got some home page. Do people still call it a home page? In my world, they do. Thank you very much. Well, let's go out to the information superhighway. What's this WWW thing going on? I don't know what that is, this World Wide Web, but I do know what's going over at MiniatureMarket.com. What's that? They got these new accessories. They just posted them. That's right. We talked highly about their bags that we were able to give out. Was that 2019, Marty, at our um, strike tournament where gladiators Mm -hmm. in the arena won again? Yeah, that's the same. Okay, yeah. Well, now... They've got a shoulder bag that can house the game. Looks really nice. They got these velvet dice bags because, you know, us, it's all about the dice. Got to protect those dice, make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. If you don't, they roll bad for you. They need a good house. They need a good... My boys need a home. My boys need a home. Those dice Do need a home. you get that reference? I have no clue what you're talking about. Seinfeld. Of course I don't get that reference. This is about miniaturemarket.com. They also have new cases for your decks. Zipper cases like you know what um what was that uh you know what i'm talking about so it's a zippered case (laughs) you're digging your own grave on this one you put decks of cards in it it has little velcros that you can sort your card decks little velcros Velcros. (laughs) you know what i'm talking about oh my gosh i do but nobody else does it's a zippered case kind of like the quiver is and there's a long a longer case which has the velcro dividers so that you can put yeah, it in your neck, they got things. There's a longer case, there's a shorter case, and then there's a square case. And it's all about carrying your cards and everything, which is really important, Tony, because with Vampire the Masquerade coming out and Ashes coming out, uh, that means that uh, you're going to need some place to carry and store your cards. A miniature market has got you taken care of with their brand new products. 
But you know what I'm going to use that case for? Because I don't have a lot of card games anymore. What's that? I'm going to put the stuff that I need to help a successful game night. My glasses, pencils, a knife so I can open up boxes, help cut stuff up because I got mad at a game or something like that. That's right. That's what I'm going to use those cases for. And didn't they also have the little ones where the corners fold up to the little dice trays? Yes. So be sure to check it out over at miniaturemarket.com. Well, here we go, Marty. Another game that I am sure is going to be up for the squirrelies. Is this the game that you teased last episode that potentially could be your game of the year? It could be. Mm. It could be. And that game is After the Empire from Gray Fox Games. This game is designed by Evan Halbert and Ryan is that Malk, M-A-U-K? Let me just tell you, loved it. Good review. I think we could stop there. Yeah, so when I saw this game and I thought, all right, so it's kind of like a tower defense. Well, it is really a tower defense game, but it's a Euro tower defense game, which I thought was interesting. And we typically like our worker placement games, which is what this, at its core, is a worker placement game. You're trying to build your castle and fortify your castle from enemies that are kind of come into your castle and steal your gold. They want your stuff. They want your stuff. They're going to hurt your people. That's right. With the goal at the end of the game, the person who has the most gold is going to win. Tony, what I love about it is the simplicity of that. If you know how to play a worker placement game, the worker placement element is super straightforward. It's honestly just learning, okay, how do I deal with the enemies when they come out? How do they work? And how does the combat phase work? Once you got that down... You're right. It was straightforward. Your phases are simple. The first one is you got to do your actions, which is your worker placement, like you said, which is one thing I really enjoyed about this game was the fact that I didn't have to do actions in order to get additional workers. I could see them coming later in the game. It was based on the rounds, right? There were certain, you play a fixed number of rounds as specific rounds as you go along, you're going to get an additional worker. And I think you end up with two additional workers. Right. And they, they come in later. So you're thematically, I could see where I, you're building up that castle. You're, you're bringing more people into your, your environment. The castle. Word, castle. You're, <laughs> you're, you're fiefdom. How's that? I, Ooh, thank you. Ooh, I like that. Fiefdom. Well done. And, and so you're bringing them in. So as you do that now, what can you do in those actions? Plainly, you can go get some resources. And here's the thing, your typical type resources, stone, wood, tin, food. You could prepare your fields. You can make them better or repair them. Uh, some of them are pretty straight worker placement things of conversions. Mm -hmm. Pay this, you get this. Turn this in, you get this. And one of the harder decisions is, do you want to bring in more soldiers to live with you, or do you want to hire some mercenaries? Because the mercenaries are going to go bye-bye at the end of the round. The soldiers are going to stay, and they're going to eat your stuff. So the mercs, fantastic for one round, but then they're gone. Soldiers stay around forever, but you do have to feed them. Now, they could be injured, but one of the actions that you can do is heal up any injured uh, soldiers that you have. You can build additional buildings that can help your fiefdom. And you could also hire refugees. Uh, so you can build buildings and hire people. Now, here's the thing that, Tony, I, it, this is engine building, right? Because mm -hmm. if you combine a couple refugees, a couple buildings, 
Bert did this to us again, created this really nice engine that synergizes with each other. You did too. Both you two had a nice engine made with your, your buildings and refugees, and I struggled at that. And later on in the game, man, you were just able to use some of the same cards over and over to generate resources, convert resources. Y'all did an amazing job. So that's the part I like. There is some engine building that's done by simple worker placement, placing a worker, pay whatever it costs to build the building or hire that refugee, take them into your uh, area, and then they have special actions that can be done during your turn. Right. Another very important one that you can do that's on your player board is you can upgrade your castle. You can convert it from wood to stone or repair your castle because combat's coming. There's people out there. They know you got gold. They know you got a good place and they want your stuff and they are coming. And so they are going to do damage. So that's another location that you can go to. We already mentioned about fixing fields or upgrading the fields to produce the farming at the later in the game. And there mm -hmm. was this one space that gave you the ability to draw two cards, pick one. And these are in game victory point mechanics that will add to your gold. If you have certain conditions, those aren't that big of a deal. I liked how they did not swing the end game. Like, oh, if you got this, here's 10 gold. I liked the fact that they were very minimal. Minimal, But what was key to that place was getting the scout tokens. You mean movement tokens? I think they're called scout tokens. I think I have a rule book here, but we'll just go with what I No, said. no, no, no. That's that's cool. That's cool. I just remember that you spend those for being, basically being on a move people around. Move. They're move tokens. I'm sorry. That was the phase one action that you're going out and doing. Then comes the hardest part of this whole game, combat. Yeah, we'll talk about that segment. I just want to talk about something that's really cool. If y'all never seen this game, go look at this game because you're literally building a castle with these really nice plastic pieces that represent wooden walls, wooden gates, wooden turrets. When you upgrade, you can build stone walls, stone turrets that basically are a little bit more uh, better defensively. And so during that time, you you start out with uh, four sides made of wood, four walls made of wood, and that's it. Then we're going to find out pretty soon that you, your wall is going to take damage, your wall may go away. So you may want to upgrade, you may want to throw up turrets, and we'll explain how that works in a second. This game looks gorgeous, gorgeous on the table because everybody has their nice little player board where they build up their castle and it looks, looks so nice. It's not going to look nice for long, though. Nope. Depending on which round you're in will determine how many people are coming to take your stuff. This is another mechanic I really liked. Who's going to attack your castle is based on how much gold you have in your reserve or what round you're in. So even if your gold is less than a mark that says, hey, 12 gold is where everybody's going to start, you're going to be attacked by either this many melee and this many archers. So I believe each card has three levels, right? Mm -hmm. Three gold levels. And the more gold you have, the more things that's going to be coming after you uh, over time. And you, like you said, there's one that's face up, but the, when you put the face up card, it has arrows showing which direction they're going to come into your castle. Mm -hmm. First round, that's pretty easy, right? I know exactly. Okay. This particular unit is going to be coming in from the East. So I need to make sure the East is fortified with people on the walls. I can use as archers to take them out. But as rounds go on, you still had that first face-up card. But then face-down cards start coming out. And when it comes to combat phase, 
you flip up those face-up cards and then you realize, oh boy, there's now three groups possibly coming from this side or coming from this side. Mm -hmm. So there's this tension during the worker placement phase of making sure that you have a little bit of coverage on every side of your walls because you can assign your soldiers to sit on the walls to protect them from whatever angle they're being attacked from. There's that element of surprise, the unknown, which I enjoyed. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed that part of the game. I did, but that's where the movement tokens come in. And we'll come back to that in a second, how important those movement tokens are, which help you mitigate bad luck because you guessed incorrectly mm-hmm. on possibly where things might be coming. Now, there's always a face down siege card that comes up, Tony. And that siege card is either going to be a trebuchet that launches stuff to destroy your walls, or it's a ladder where the uh, invaders coming in can still scale your walls and get into the castle. Was it a, a trebuchet, a catapult? No, a ladder and a catapult was that on the token. doesn't matter. Okay. It was it was a long-range weapon, like a catapult or trebuchet, and a ladder. Yeah, I'm trying Those to- say, two I'm, options. I'm saving us $5. Covering all bases <laughs> here. Okay? Fair. Fair. <laughs> but there is a part on that card that will say, like, a surge- This got me. So some of the cards will say like, hey, whoever has the most gold gets a little bit of extra attack against them. Very thematic. That guy's doing better, so we should go get his gold. Not all of them had that, but some of them did, and I'll talk about how it happened to me later. So, Tony, so we go into the combat phase. So this is the part that probably takes the longest to wrap your head around, and there is a really nice PDF on BoardGameGeek that walks you through each of the phases of the combat. So once you flip over all the cards that's gonna be attacking you, you actually take tokens uh, from the supply and put them around your castle, uh, one for every melee attack, one for every archer, and situate them around them. And uh, before that happened though, you allocated your soldiers around the wall. Mm -hmm. So at this point, it's like, oh boy, now you see what you're really dealing with. First, archery is gonna happen. So if there's any archers from the outside, what they're going to do is shoot any soldiers that are on the wall that they're facing. Likewise, any soldiers that you positioned on that wall will shoot back and they deal damage simultaneously. Each thing just has one health. Take out an archer, it goes away. You lose a soldier, it goes to your infirmary. You don't really lose it. You can still heal it. It just goes to your infirmary. Right. And turrets, you know, the turrets deal damage as well. We talked about, so if you build a turret that's on a corner, so a corner turret can attack either adjacent field. It attacks, actually, it attacks both adjacent fields. So that helps you. That's why you got to build them. It's going to help mm-hmm. thin the herd because the herd's going to get greater, as we just said, as the longer rounds go. That's why you just can't turtle and think, oh, I'm just going to keep my walls. You you better be planning for yep. the big, vicious attack that's coming along. So yeah, you did your combat preparations. You moved your troops according to based on how Things showed up. You hurried people along. You had a little archery phase. Everybody was slinging some arrows at one another, taking people out. Then the movement, the invaders in the field moved to the wall that's left. I didn't talk about this earlier. You talked about the preparation phase. That's where you can spend your movement Mm -hmm. tokens. We talked about those earlier. Before this, you can actually spend movement tokens to resituate the people on the wall because now you see where they're coming from. But if you didn't get those you got to keep it the way that it was before they were revealed and they go away at the end of the turn so you don't get to stockpile those suckers. Now, after the archery, you can readjust freely 
without the cost of any movement tokens. Because when the melee comes, uh, each of your walls has a little block on them, like the wooden, some wooden walls have three little wooden blocks and the stone have like four. And a melee attack deals one damage, which is taking a block off the top of the wall and putting it over in your supply. This is cool, Tony. If you take damage, you don't lose the resources you use to build it. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, the stone goes back into your supply that you can use to fix it later. But if they do enough damage to that wall where all the stones are removed, the actual physical wall is removed. That's and then right. they storm inside. They storm inside. And don't, oh, don't forget about the siege windows. We talked about ladders. Sometimes those guys can just come over the top. And if you get through all those phases and you're still alive and they're still alive, you wrap around and start all over again at the archery phase. Mm -hmm. And you keep going until either you're dead and you're sacked or they're all dead and you are successful. Okay, they've sacked me. Now I take a reduction in the goal based on what's on the board. F from where I was, it will sack me to the, that end. Yep. So basically, they stole some of your gold. But there is some compensation. Because that happened, you get two mercs for free and one additional worker for one round to help you rebuild. I guess people felt sorry. Yeah. Mutual aid from a adjoining fiefdom. They, they say, ah, yeah. come on, we're going to send you some people. We understand. We appreciate you taking the abuse versus us. But if you survived and mm -hmm. you have the most gold, you get some bonus points. Yeah. Because, hey, everybody was coming after you. You survived. You get like a little a one or two point token mm -hmm. for surviving that. Simple worker placement at the beginning. Combat is where you need to step through it a couple of times and it will come to you. Especially this attacking the wall, repelling, rinse and repeat. It took us multiple times to get through this. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things that we need to you know, stress here on this game don't be uh, like, oh my gosh, how hard? It's not. It's not just walk through it, straightforward, very good rule book. Like Marty said, the PDF is out there. Then you go and you get income for how many walls and turrets you got. So if you lost any, you lose some income. You determine your turn order. You feed your people while you harvest. Oh, by the way, you know those people who came and just attacked your kingdom? They burned your crops. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's one of the first things that happens that any crop that's out there gets burnt. Oh, I didn't mention this, too. If you get sacked, one of your building is on fire or either one of your refugees are damaged. You can still use their abilities, but there isn't a gold award at the end if your building has survived or your person has survived. There's a way to fix those and heal those mm -hmm. uh, on your turn. Action. But yeah, but at least you don't use the ability. Thank goodness. Yeah, that was good. Feed them. If you can't feed them, lose some gold. Rinse and repeat. Reset the board. Start up for another attack. Play until the rounds are over. Whoever has the most gold at the end wins. Reveal your victory point cards. Total up all your other victory points. There you go. That's the game. In a nutshell. Let me just talk about some of my pros of the game real quick. Mm -hmm. Worker placement, I said it. Very straightforward. You get into the game quick. You play a worker placement game before. You can literally look at the board and determine what each of these things do. May I, maybe you have to understand what does a movement token give you, what can it do for you, et cetera. Combat is deterministic. No dice rolls. So it's not like you're going to get messed up by a dice roll. You know exactly how much damage you're going to be dealt and how much you're going to deal in return. So you can see the outcome. The randomness is where those face down cards get turned up and you see what direction they're going to be uh, coming from. So that's where your randomness is. Uh, one issue that many euros have to me is that the theme disappears during gameplay. Not so with this game. You get gold. You protect your gold. If you have the most gold at the end, you win. 
thematically, I felt the entire time I was constantly rebuilding, fixing my uh, castle, fortifying my castle, getting soldiers into place to protect from the hordes that were coming in. I've mentioned mine. I really enjoyed knowing when I would get my additional workers and it wasn't something I had to work for, which I always, I generally feel is a disadvantage to people in worker placement games for those who get the workers near the end or don't plan accordingly. I like that. We're all getting them at the same time. We don't have to worry about that. I enjoy the fact that options abound on how to strategize. When those cards are displayed, when you're trying to figure out the refugees or what buildings, you may not get the card that will work well. So you need to pivot. 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 Do you want to go with, well, I'm going to build up a good army and keep them fed and things like that. Oh, it! I can't feed them all the time. I'll just go with the mercs. Oh, wait a minute. I'm getting a lot of different types of cards. I know there's some victory point cards that allow me to have different sets. Hmm, that's interesting. I could do that. Maybe I'll just keep my wood structures healed up and not even worry about stone because I have another good engine going over here. A lot of strategizing you got to do as the game progresses. And one of my favorite things was keeping in step with one another with the gold. I never felt like, you know, someone is so far out. If they were way ahead of us in gold and those leader cards came up on the siege engine, they were going to be the target. And I like that little catch up mechanic. That's where I got screwed. And that's what really ruined the last time that I played because I was behind in gold the entire time to one round. By the way, some of the actions that you take cost gold. So you can spend gold, take actions. Sometimes you don't want to be the runaway leader because of the fear of getting attacked and being the furthest ahead. Remember what I said? Those uh, army cards, the strength of the army coming at you is based on the amount of gold that you have. So you don't want to get crazy. I ended up in front of these two guys and the next siege card targeted me and it absolutely destroyed me. Those guys survived. And then I spent what felt like two turns trying to get my castle rebuilt. And it was just, they, they, pummeled me at that point. So I understand that's part of the game, but it did frustrate me and Angry Marty did show up when that happened. Oh yeah, he didn't. Uh, Grumpy Tony comes in and gets quiet. Marty gets vocal. <laughs> I didn't realize I was ahead of everybody in gold. How did I get ahead of you guys? Siege, person with the most cold, gets additional attackers from over here. Like, oh my gosh. And you were only one ahead, just one gold. <laughs> and again, they try to compensate. Well, number one, you lose a lot of gold. So then I drop back. They try to compensate. The person furthest back in the gold track does get to go first. You do get the extra mercs. You do get uh, the extra worker. Thank goodness. Or otherwise it would be a runaway leader. So it's one of the things you need got to work on. I stunk at my card combos. That's not a con against the game. That's a con against my card play. But Tony, I love the game. Oh, it's yeah. rare that a Euro, to me, the theme hits and sticks the entire way through. And I think this one does that. Kind of like done spaghetti on a refrigerator. And here's the thing. I know that people are like, man, I wish I could have gotten this game. Well, guess what? Gray Fox Games is coming out with the deluxe version reprint on GameFound. They already had the preview up on GameFound.com. So if you want to get a reprint of the deluxe version, it will be available soon. 
Uh, they will offer an upgrade kit if you have the regular game, which we have for like $24. I'm going to pay the $24 mm-hmm. to get the upgrades for the nicer bits and tokens because it's it's one of those things on the table just looks great. And the more blinged out it is, the more fun it is. You know, it took us a while to play. So it's not one of our fast games to the table. Right. Four players. I don't think because a lot of things were going on simultaneous, like um, when we were assaulting the castles, um, everybody could do that at once. I, if as long as you trust people, it's okay. You know, like, how, like, and I'll admit it. Marty had to look at it. How did you survive that? I, I let me step right through it and make sure I did it right. I was just like, I couldn't believe the swarm that hit us and both Burton and Tony. I, Sweet, I survived. Cool. All right, next round. Like, what? Telling you, those that was one of my big cons, though, I think, was the move tokens, my my scout tokens, because it's the scout action you take on the board to receive them, but there are mm-hmm. some buildings that provide those. Those are very valuable. And I don't know if we stress that enough, but it's very valuable that you're able to reposition those troops on the walls as soon as those cards flip over, that you're able to say, I'm going to spend three move tokens to move through three troops to help me defend this wall, especially if four cards flip over and, oh, look, they're all coming from one side. But there's a risk in that. There are a couple of times I went and made sure to get those movement tokens and that I didn't need them. Because I got lucky and was positioned correctly, and then they just go away. So I used a worker. I basically wasted a worker getting movement tokens that I didn't even need. Right. And there's these guard tokens you can put on your field. So you don't really have to worry about those. Or you can just let your fields burn, but those are victory points. So that, that helps you too. So yes, this one will show up in the squirrelies of 2022 for um, Tony's game of the year. I can go ahead and mm-hmm. say that. And we'll see who else is going to be challenging it. But man... I'm going to tell you, after the Empire, Gray Fox Games, it's got a big old thumbs up from Tony. Me too. Gale Force 9 has just reprinted one of their most popular games from 2012, a hit for them, Spartacus, A Game of Blood and Treachery. So we got this game to the table, and I heard so many good things about it, Tony. Uh, one of our friends, Nate, said, oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite favorite games of all time so we could not wait to try it out you know what gotta give them credit this is a very thematic game too for what it is you're playing one of the houses of rome everybody has a special ability that they can use and your goal is to get some gladiators into play equip them with weapons have slaves in play that can give you special abilities that maybe can heal up can give you some gold And you're going to go out there and do battle for the whole goal of being the first to get 12 influence and the first to 12 wins the game. Yep. That's it. Another good review. Way to go. When you're sitting there looking at me like this, uh, were you not impressed with this game or something? So I guess this is one of those things where you've got that that hype. You know, it's way up there. We're hearing from Nate. Oh, yeah. Our friends hyped it big time. It used to be played at the game club all the time that we went to. It's a solid, good game. So glad Gale Force 9 brought it back, did some tweaks to it. I'm glad I got to play it. But as I was playing it, I was sitting there thinking, okay, the arena, the gladiators in the arena aren't as important as that one step at the beginning. The Was it the intrigue? Yes, it is. Now, uh, when you first start, everybody does income. You're going to get gold for every slave that you have. And then for every gladiator you have, it costs you one gold. But then you go into the intrigue. Cards are dealt out. These intrigue cards. And Tony, you said this is basically where you felt the entire game occurred, mm-hmm. right? That's 
That's then that's just me. Because after this, it's nothing more than betting on who's going to uh, buying stuff and sending two people to the arena. Well, no, that's not the intrigue phase. I know, but I'm saying after the intrigue phase. Oh, I'm you, sorry. Yeah, you bought stuff and then you sent people to the arena back to the top. Yes. And it's funny in the rules, they say spirit of the game during the game, players will bribe, poison, betray, steal, blackmail and undermine each other. Coin will change hands again and again to buy support, stay someone's hand or influence their decisions. Will you be the honorable player whose word is their bond or the treacherous schemer whose alliance change with the wind? So here's the thing in the first couple rounds, Tony, we didn't do a lot of that. It's not our style. It's not. We were pretty straightforward. Now, as the game went on, we started doing that a little more. Hey, Tony, I've got this card right here. It's going to cost you five gold if I play it. Won't you give me three gold instead, and I won't hit you with this five, and maybe I'll hit Bert with it. And then the negotiation begins, right? So then it's like, well, Marty, uh, I got one of those cards too, so maybe you just want to lay off. When we got into the spirit of the game like that, that was really interesting. And so you had these intrigue cards that would do all these sort of different things. And there was also reaction cards to where, Tony, I may do something to you and you go, yeah, I'm going to foil that and basically cancel that intrigue. Or maybe it's a guard card, uh, which basically it's going to say, I'm going to use my guard to try to foil your scheme and I'm going to roll a die, four, five, or six, as I successfully foil it. A one, two, or three fails, but you lose the guard regardless. And these intrigue cards are about getting more money to help you in the market. Yes. Or advance your influence or decrease someone else's influence. Yes. And one of the keys is you cannot play these intrigue cards unless your influence is equal to or greater than the value printed on the card unless you pay money to do that no yeah you don't pay money what you do is you can ask for assistance ask for, uh, yeah i had a card that said you can decrease the cost i forgot about that yeah okay i understand yeah you did have something special like that so let's say the influence card is like it, you have to be a level 16 well that doesn't even exist and i'm an eight and tony's an eight and i go tony if you lend me your influence lend means that he doesn't decrease it. it's just like he'll help me out I can play this 16-level influence card maybe against somebody else. So maybe Bert is one point away from winning. He's at 11. And you and I conspire together in order to hurt him, to bring him back to us so we have a chance of winning. So this intrigue phase, I think, is very, very interesting at this point. So you play your cards. You you have a max hand of cards based on your influence. The more influence you have, the bigger your hand of cards can be. So you can carry some of those forward to the next round. So if you're into that sort of thing where you can backstab and bribe and do that, then this is the phase of the game that you'll really enjoy. Yes. And that's where I thought the whole game was because that's how we determine the winners and the losers. The next phase is kind of important too because then you're doing blind bids. So three cards come off the market and you reveal them one at a time. These can be equipment or items that you can attach to your uh, gladiator, such as a shield, such as a weapon. It could be a new gladiator to bring into your uh, control. It could be a new slave, which may, with maybe an ability to heal people and stuff, and it gives you gold at the beginning of the round. So then you blind bid. You take all your coins to your hand. You blind bid. You hold out your fist. You reveal whoever has the most gets that card. If it's a tie, then you do a blind bid again till somebody gets it or both of you basically pass and then nobody gets that card. So three cards go through that. But Tony, I think the most important thing was the final bid, which was for host, because whoever got to be the host got to determine 
what two gladiators go into the arena the next phase? Absolutely. Because that host says, hey, Marty, go fight. And if I don't, it costs me an influence not to do it. Mm -hmm. So it, it behooves me to go and do it. But if I'm host, I can, maybe sometimes I want to pick myself. Maybe I see that I've got a really stout gladiator with a bunch of items and you've got like nothing. And it's like, I'm going to pick me and I'm going to pick Tony to go fight against each but other. But that's important because you may say, hey, Marty, go fight. And you say, okay, I'll do that. And I'm going to send in so-and-so. And you look down, I can't beat that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go pick on Mark or Bird or Ben or Chevy or somebody is go fight in the arena themselves so that I don't have to and just sit back and watch it all. And then everybody places wages on how, if they think who's going to win, if they think they're going to be decapitated or if they're going to be injured. We'll talk about the combat, which I think is kind of interesting. Did you? I did think the combat resolution was pretty interesting because every gladiator has three stats, speed, defense, and attack. Mm -hmm. The number that they have for those three values is the number of dice they'll roll. So there's blue dice for speed, Black dice for defense, red dice for attack. So if I'm three, three, and two, I pick up three red, three black, two blue. And then both of us roll our dice. There's only two people in the arena. They start on opposite ends. Uh, you have that you can move and you can uh, basically fight or fight and move. But before you do that, you roll your dice. And you take some gladiator name. That's true. And by the way, this is really a gladiators in arena. <laughs> well. More so than strike. Okay, so uh, so four time champ. Yeah, whatever. All right. So the number of blue dice you have is the number of spaces that you can move. But you each add up your blue dice. Whoever has the highest gets to go first, or gets to choose who gets to go first. So at that point, then one of you will go first. But then when you do an attack, let's say I'm attacking you, I take my red dice and put them in descending order. You take your black dice and put them in descending order beside each of my dice and you compare them one to one. So my highest to your highest, your second highest to your second highest, etc. If my attack exceeds your defense, you take a wound. If they tie or it's less than, no wound. If you don't have a defense die to put against my attack, it's automatically a hit. But Tony, I think this is the interesting part. The wounds that you take basically makes you discard one die from your pool of any color for the number of wounds that you've gotten. That's really interesting at that point. It's like, well, do I want to slow down and get rid of a blue and lower my speed? Do I want to take a chance and decrease my defense? Do I want to decrease my offense? But the rule is, is you can never go below one. So you can discard down to one. So at some point in time, a loser is going to have just one blue, one black, one red. The next time they take a damage, that's it. Combat's over. They lose a die. If they end up taking two damage and losing two die, they're injured. And they have a little injured token on them. If they lose all three die, they're decapitated and out of the game. And so the two people battling, I can see where that's interesting. The other two people... If you're playing four-player, then you're watching the other two basically dance around each other till somebody jumps in and strikes. I'm sorry, what word was that? Strikes. Yeah, strike. Yes, you're absolutely right. I guess that's where I, it lost interest for me because a lot of times I'll sit on the edge. Yeah. And I guess in a four player game, I, maybe you're rooting for somebody to win. I, I don't know. Um, we did do a lot of like positioning because it's like a little miniatures game at this point. And mm-hmm. by the way, some weapons allow you to maybe attack two spaces away. Uh, like there's a, I can't remember which one it was. Some of them you don't have to be, you don't have to be adjacent. You could be like two spaces away. 
Uh, maybe you have a shield that you can use to block one of the damages, etc. So again, there's these items that you can attach to your gladiator when they go in. And by the way, if your gladiator is decapitated or, or out, you get to get your items back to attach to another gladiator. But then after that, Tony, there's another important thing for the host to decide, which is for the one that lost, they get either a thumbs up or thumbs down. So if they weren't decapitated, the host can basically say, thumbs down, they're gone. And here's where some wagers could come in, right? It's like, man, don't, don't knock me out. Please don't knock me out. I'll give you a couple coins. Give me a thumbs up. You know, again, the negotiating thing comes in, but the host has so much power, which is where going back to that bidding phase, where if you bid a lot on those asset cards, you won't have hardly any left to bid on the host, which is important deciding who goes into the arena and who gets the thumbs up, thumbs down. Like you said, after that point, you just rinse and repeat. First person who gets to 12 wins. If happens, two people end up with 12 influence. They do one final battle against each other. Whoever's last standing is the final victor. And I guess from a strategy standpoint on the thumbs up, thumbs down, even in the picking your gladiator, that as gladiators win, they gain favor and eventually can become a champion. And that can provide even more money for that person. So there's right. a, there's a, there's strategy there. I'm not trying to be negative on this from that standpoint. It's just like, I was sitting here thinking, I mean, the intrigue is what held my attention. Mm. The arena, I guess maybe with three. I mean, you said I could root for somebody. It didn't matter. I tried to convince you of how to do one so that you and I could get a bid. And you then you rolled what, three sixes or something. I don't know what you did and ruined our chances of getting a whole lot of money. But that's all right. So that's where I was with the game. I was like, okay, I can understand. I can understand the mass appeal, especially for people who enjoy that type of game. The backstabbing, you know, play it in spirit. Don't get mad at one another. But I could only imagine being at the very beginning. Of, we played what? The short game where we started at six influence or seven influence? Yeah, there's three versions of the game. The quick, the normal, and the long. And we played the quick. I don't know why this came to me. I'm like, is this like Cosmic Encounter? <sighs> Tony, that is a perfect example because... I'm going to wrap around back to that. So let me give my pros real quick. Okay. If you like heavy player interaction, you're going to love this game, right? Oh, yeah. If if you love backstabbing and talking and bartering, this is the game for you. Uh, it's just full of that stuff. It's very easy to learn. Mm-hmm. Each phase is really simple. Income, play cards, buy cards, fight. The combat resolution, once you get that down, it moves pretty quick. Uh, I like the way that it's handled. I like the way the damage is removing dice. Uh, The thumbs up, thumbs down is a good tension moment if you're not the one making that decision. And it's one of those games, I think people love it because it creates memorable experiences. Like, remember when we played Spartacus and you screwed me over? Remember that? Remember that? You know, those sorts of games. Uh, I think it it has that. So, uh, you got any pros from your side? I think pretty much mimic what you just said. The, I agree. The intrigue, uh, sitting there trying to negotiate, I can see where that would slow you down. So my pro is intrigue is where the game is. Negative con of the game is intrigue can take forever and it can draw out the game at some times. Some incredible dice rolls make it fun. It becomes that, uh, what's the term, Ameritrash type yeah. system from that standpoint. That can be fun. I can definitely see where this game where the arena for two people would be a blast, but the intrigue would be boring. Yeah, that's true. Because it's a kind of a combination of two types of games. Mm-hmm. So a con for me was it ran, ran a tad long for what it was. We played the quick game and it took us still two hours with three players. I have issue with games in the past where you're racing to the end, but somebody can pull you back towards them. And I had the example of like a Catan, which is you're close to winning the final victory points and somebody takes the longest road from you. 
Better example is Cosmic Encounter by far. You think you're just on the cusp of winning or somebody's on the cusp of winning. It's like, oh, the game is going to be over and somebody comes in and knocks them down and they fall back. That's what happens in this game. Somebody runs ahead. The other two, three-player game, the other two are going to team up against them, play in tree guards and tree cards to pull them back down and it kind of make can make the game run long. I wish the game had a built-in timer mm-hmm. where it, that can't just keep going on and on because after a while, I was like, okay, just kind of somebody hurry up and get to 12 because you actually had a plan. You had an intrigue card that would you would have won mm-hmm. and Bert had a guard reaction card. If he had rolled a one, two, or three, Boom. Uh, the scheme would have triggered. You would have won the game, game over. But it didn't. So we went to the next phase, which is a fight phase between me and him. Then one of us ended up winning. That's what made the game memorable for me. But at that point, you were out of the game. Oh, that yeah. last combat phase, you didn't give a crap because basically the winner of this was going to win the game. So you just kind of said, this is where you would have pulled out your switch because it's like, I have nothing else to do at this point. No, I was putting stuff in the bags for packing up, ready to go. I can totally get where people, especially like Cosmic Encounter, man, fantastic example. A lot of player interaction. Do you want to help me out? No, I'll, you know, I'll help you out next time. If you help me out this time, let's trade coins and all this stuff. You love that, then you're going to love this game. If that kind of uh, kind of makes me a little anxious, apprehensive, then you might want to play it before you buy it. So that is Spartacus from Gale Force 9 out right now. A big congrats to Ignasi and the team over at Portal for over $2 million towards the Robinson Crusoe Collector's Edition. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. It couldn't happen to a better company. Well over 10,000 people have bought this game. Tony, it is immaculate. It is. Immaculate. This is going to be like a family heirloom. Yes, it is. And it's missing one thing, though, Marty. Oh, what's that? He needed to add in sand. A little bag of sand for when you have a... little sunny day at the beach. That would have been it right there. So, yes. good Congratulations. 2.5 million or something like that. That is unreal. And if you don't know or understand how to play Robinson by our good friend Ben, he did this uh, YouTube tutorial. It's over on Portal Games YouTube channel. So, go check it out. What else is coming up? And Vienna Connection is going to be coming out soon. So, go keep an eye on it. And the Moloch expansion, Tony, we actually got it. So, you and I need to get 51st State back to the table so the Moloch can come into play and start messing with everybody. So, to find out more head over to portalgamesus.com sign up for the newsletter make sure to follow them on youtube where he does his weekly live chats on monday which i love those every monday morning i love interacting with him and hearing some of the topics that he likes to talk about so again to find out more portalusgames.com plat hat games is on their own again and they're going back to their roots because they're coming out with a re-release of the Summoner Wars master set that you and I demoed almost 10 years ago in Origins when we first met Colby and he taught us how to play that game. I remember that. They were wearing these weird hats. They still wear the weird hats. They wear the plaid hats. See, I get it now. Back then, I was clueless. But now I'm, I'm right there with them. You're not wearing a plaid hat. Yeah, thematically, you should have been changing shirts and stuff during this show. Oh, well, hold on. 
You got a plaid shirt you could put on? It's not a plaid hat. I put it on earlier. Remember when I said, you know, costumes were provided by Rodney and I had the um, plaid shirt. Yep. Summoner Wars. Um, this came out and we also had another game that came out similar to this. And we were trying to say, well, which, which one of these is greater? Uh, which one had more interest? And we were uh-huh. tied up in some other card games. Lord knows, probably getting ready for Netrunner or something. Who knows what we were doing? But that was a while ago. And Summoner Wars, back on the table, redone, risen from the ashes. The good tie-in. Thank you. So this game comes with six factions, a very nice board, and they've tweaked some of the rules. And for those who've played the original, comparing to this one, I was just going to hit some of the some of the main things. One is the first player takes a full turn and starts with two magic. So the way the game begins is different. The second player starts with three magic. And there's a nice little magic uh, tracker now on the board. That's how magic is tracked as opposed to a tile of cards. I like that a lot better, a lot easier to track. Players no longer gain magic when destroying their own units, but they do still gain magic if destroying somebody else's. I like this one, Tony. If a player fails to an attack an enemy card during the attack phase, their summoner receives one damage. Ah, okay. It makes you want to fight. You better fight that round or your summoner is going to take a damage. And the goal of the game is to basically knock out the summoner. Basically deal enough damage to the other summoner and knock them out. And then over the uh, the dice are different. So they're in post to numbers. There's like little icons on the dice. So there's swords and bows and special symbols. And depending on what attack you're doing, melee or range, you're going to roll a set number of die. Count the number of bows for range attacks or swords for melee and that'll count the number of uh, hits event cards no longer have their own phase instead on the card itself it tells you when it can be done you can have active events Uh, there are structures now instead of spawning at walls you basically have gates that you spawn from plus there's other structure cards that you can get into play so those are the main things but it still maintains the thing of on your turn you're going to summon some of your people onto the board Around your gate, you're going to move them. There's a new phase where you can build structures. Then you're going to attack. Melee can attack adjacent. Range can attack in a straight line if there's nobody blocking them. You roll some dice, determine some damage. The magic phase at the end, you can discard any number of cards you want and draw back up to five. The number of cards you um, discard is going to give you that amount of magic to help you increase your magic. Because during the summon phase, you spend magic to spawn characters onto the board. But Tony, like a lot of games like this, the brunt of the game is the text on the factions because that's what makes all the factions and units different. Right. It's the combos. Getting out certain ones that provide certain combos that you need, such as, oh, by the way, if this one's out there, he can boost this character. If they're within X number of spaces from the summoner, you get to do this. Oh, wait, here's a little bit of movement um, boost for you that they can now run through a unit and cause them damage. Oh, by the way, if the summoner, you move your summoner across the board, you can spawn a gate near them, assuming you have it in your hand and you're able to do that. And then you can release some of your guys from those gates. If you don't have magic, then you have a very hard decision to make of discarding cards to increase your magic so that you can be ready for the next phase, provided that they don't, your opponent doesn't come over and just wipe the floor with you. So it's a very tactical game. Mm-hmm. To me, I've always viewed this game as a miniatures game with cards, where the cards are your units that you're putting onto the board, trying to get them into the right position. Again, 
Every faction is so different. Some are about ranged attacks. Some have some special abilities where maybe I played the undead last time we played Tony and they're about, I'm going to deal damage to myself to be able to do things back to you. Typical undead sort of thing. So they all have different uh, abilities, factions. There's the deck building is very unique. They, the factions come pre pre-built so you can just play right out of the box but there are rules for changing up your decks and i think that's where somebody really gets into it they can customize their deck make some cool armies and more armies are going to be coming out down the road so it is a still a solid two-player game it gives you that miniatures feel without having to assemble miniatures and do any painting absolutely it's got the deck building like you said and that's that that will bring me in from that standpoint of a card game so I appreciate them bringing this back and the streamlining of the rules. I mean, you taught it to me in under what five minutes over lunch. You remind me of the rules and we were off and playing in no time. As with any of these games, you got to know your faction to you can, Oh, card draw is going to hurt me. Well, maybe I need to, you know, discard so that I can get the cards I need for the next round. But once again, you have to figure, figure out where that's going to be best benefit to you and when you deal damage every unit has a certain amount of health pool and basically it's when they take enough damage they're gone uh it'll tell you how many dice they're going to roll and again some of the factions have hey if you roll the special icon something cool happens again there's abilities to be activated so obviously we're not going to dig into all that but uh the basic rules very easy to learn the board is really nice. The art's been updated. I've seen some people say they like maybe the art of the earlier ones. Some people like the art on the new one. Art is subjective. Again, it's there. It's a bunch of new factions coming out. There's a new app coming uh, that's going to be first online, and they're going to try to bring it to other platforms because a lot of people played the original game on an app, and so they are working on that. So if you'd rather do that, you can get a digital subscription, basically to stay up to date on the app and get new factions. There's a, a physical subscription where every time a new faction comes out, they'll just be one sent right to you. So if they put it on the Switch, as long as I'm able to play my turn, go offline, I'm there. Yeah, I don't know if it's coming to the Switch. I'd be cool, but I don't know if they've announced all the platforms that it's coming out for. But the app's not coming out until like August, but the physical version is in May pre-order it now and you can get it and start playing it. We play in what? Less than 30 minutes, right? There yeah. is literally no setup to this game whatsoever. In fact, the summoner, you turn it over on the back and it tells you, here are your starting units. Here's where the gate goes. Shuffle your cards, draw play. Now, the next game, which I've already mentioned, Ashes. One mm -hmm. of Marty's favorites. Ashes Reborn uh, is basically 1.5. So they took the original Ashes rules. Uh, we talked about this in the past. As Ashes game went on, some of the cards and abilities got crazy to where there was a lot of loopholes and a lot of cards that were very specific and timing was weird. So they got a designer to come in. It's still I, This original was designed by Isaac Vega. He's moved on from Plat Hat Games, but one of the people that helped and worked with Isaac is now taking over the designer role of Ashes. And has come out with this new version. And we got the new base set, which includes the original six factions from the original set, but with a lot of new cards. So a lot of the abilities have changed. A lot of terms have changed. Uh, again, uh, Plat Hat does an amazing job of kind of breaking down some of the things that's changed. For example, the term respark, which was a thing where you could take a card back into your hand. That is gone. Dismount. Rules are gone where you could get on a, on a mount. That is gone. The dice power. Some of the dice powers have totally changed. The attacking has been made better, I think. 
You could do take multiple units and attack a Phoenix Born, but you can only attack one to one against a another unit. That unit has the choice to counter, and if they do, they exhaust. That didn't change, but what changed is this. If a guard can come in, a unit with a guard term can come in and block, they have no choice whether to counter or not. They must and exhaust. That's different because there were some times where I had beefy guards and the other person would never attack knowing that I could just guard and not counter he be unexhausted. That made the game drag. This keeps the game clicking. A lot of the rules they put in forces the game uh, now to move. A Phoenix Born can guard against attacks, but only once per turn. There are uh, some timing rules have really changed. Uh, they've streamlined all that. Before damage, after damage, everything is consistent across every card now. I played a game today with two of the starter decks. A timing question came up. We read it. We read the rules like we followed exactly what needs to be done. All the art is the same, but a lot of the text has changed on this base set. And there's the refresh set that you can get from Team Covenant if you have a lot of the older cards that replenishes and changes a lot of the cards in the decks, not only in the base set, but in a lot of the decks that came out later. This is your game, man. Did you just not like it? Might as well talk about it now. I was going to say talk about it later. But so between the two, it's all about smashing down the other person's big you know, they're champion. They're big boy. What do you mean between the two? The Summoner Wars and um, Phoenix Born. Uh, yeah. The end game goal is basically to either destroy the Summoner or destroy the Phoenix Born. Yeah. And I think Netrunner ruined me from, mm. the, from the standpoint of I had multiple options here of how to win the game. I wasn't trying to beat you down. I was trying to figure out ways to beat your defenses and to keep you from doing certain things. With Ashes, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I think I lost interest because of what you were saying about it was a very complicated timing loopholes. We ran into that a couple of times. It had one of my favorite mechanics in it, the denial, you know, playing the denial decks or uh, you played that one against me when we, we put it on the table recently. I always enjoyed that. A lot of that's gone. So one of the things that they got rid of is the ability just to basically meh, get rid of that one unit you have in play. That was one of the things they said that turned people off on the game. They hated to have a unit in play. The other person goes, oh yeah, uh, just go ahead and discard that unit right there. They got rid of a lot of cards that did that. They got rid of cards that forced you to exhaust your dice and not be able to use them. That was a dice power. That is gone because people were playing. It's like, great. So this person can play this card or spend this die power over here to basically exhaust my die so that I can't use them. Mm -hmm. That die has been changed. What it does, it rolls down a die one level. Remember, there were three levels, mm -hmm. the high level, the mid, low. What it does is it rolls down dice one level. The dice doesn't go away. It just rolls it down one. So what they did is they got rid of a lot of the annoying things that people didn't like about the game. Gone. Fixed a lot of the timing gone, makes the game more fluid so you can't turtle, yeah. fixed. So all that so far, I've really enjoyed. Again, I've only played the six starters. I haven't dug into any of the expansions, but I've enjoyed what they've done with the starters so far, except for one thing. And I'll just now remember this because now I've played three games with my coworker with the starter set. I suck at this game. I am horrible at this game. I like 
every mechanic about this game. The starting five, you get five cards at the beginning of your turn. Nice dice mechanic with the resources. I can't play this game worth the crap. And now I remember going to tournaments like in Origins and just getting the snot beat out of me. I'm bad at it. You were not last. I was last at that tournament. I remember this. But anyway, when I say denial, it's like, okay, you discard off the top of your deck. You're, you're denying people cards. Oh, like a milling deck. Like in Magic. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Saria has one of those, which is like a control deck. And I tried playing that, and it's still a tough deck to play. Maybe her, maybe I just didn't play it well, but I like that sort of thing too, because another way you can, well, you know, you're still dealing damage. If you run through their deck, every time they have to go to the beginning of the phase to draw back up, they take one damage for every card they can't draw. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that you make them run out of their deck. It's when they draw cards, they take damage for cards they can't. So that's Saria, one of the Phoenix Born's main thing, which I love. I just never could get it to work. Well, it was working well against me. I can tell you that. And you say you can't play it. I'm sitting there watching you play against me and you've got all these dice in your resource pool and I've spent all mine. And I'm like, how do you still have five dice over there? And I got none. And you're like, well, are you going to do anything? I'm like, I got nothing to do. I'm going to sit here and watch you play cards and tell me to go pound sand or something while I'm sitting over here. <laughs> Again, it's just funny. I'm playing the standard deck against a co-worker and the guy just rolls over me. And I'm like, golly. I was playing today. He was playing with uh, the uh, Maoni, which is like the Egyptian uh, mm-hmm. woman who has the silver snake where you can get status tokens on him and just beat the snot out of you. So I was playing with Noah who can exhaust his guy. So I would exhaust it. Then he would have a card to unexhaust it use the Phoenix born special ability to kill off the ally that I had leaving the Phoenix born unprotected attack for seven attack for seven. A good game. Wow. And again, it was me. I just didn't play well. I'm just, I love the game, but not a good player. (laughs) It's so funny. And I, and I guess maybe that's when I look at those cards and was how easy is it to put a deck together? Once again, Netrunner ruined me. I could put a really good deck together. I wouldn't have to net deck going to the net and reading everybody's decks, but I could see how the cards would work together. And this is me. Definitely not ashes because Isaac designed an incredible game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Plain and simple. It's us. But it was just like, I could not see the combos. I could not see how things would fit together to build a good deck. I'd get cards that seemed like they had 10 paragraphs on them. Yes. So, uh, no, I agree. And some of the later expansions dealt with teeny tiny font text on a card with multiple paragraphs. The Finch was one of, oh my gosh, so much text on that card. A lot of that's been changed. Some cards still have a, a wall of text, but a lot of that's been changed and made it easier. But I, I agree, but I will give them credit. For deck building, it's really straightforward. You could put anything you want into a deck. You just can't have more than three copies of it. As long as you put a die into your pool that can pay for that card, the deck building is wide open. Maybe you needed something a little more constrained. Because mm-hmm. you know, in, in Netrunner, you can splash, I and mean, it was like seven points. There was like seven influence points. You, you know, everything had to be of a certain faction, but you could splash mm-hmm. a certain number of points from other things. And you were limited. Here, it's like, nah, whole card pool is open to you. The only thing you can't use is a specific card made for a Phoenix Born. You have to use that particular Phoenix Born. Everything else is wide open as long as you put the die in to pay for it. Use it. 
but you need to be, and that's where the deck building came in, is mm-hmm. knowing how many dice you needed to make those effects be manageable, to be able mm-hmm. to use those. And that's very important. Once again, we didn't play it enough to get good at it. No, I played the mess out of it and I, I was bad at it. I did. I played against our buddy Mark. I played against people at work. You love it. I love the art. I love everything about it. I'm just not good. So if anybody wants an easy game of Ashes, challenge me. You'll win. There you go. And it seems like every time I'd roll, I'd get the little common symbol. Ten dice roll. Look, nine commons. Oh, good gosh. Then you can do the meditate where you can change die at any side you want. So meditate is basically discard a card from your spell board, your hand or your deck, and you can start modifying dice. So they do have a rule against bad die rolls. So there you go. Plat Hat Games coming out of the gate with a relaunch of Summoner Wars that's going to be out in May. Ashes is at miniature market right now because I just saw it advertised in their latest email. So Ashes is available at miniature market. In fact, let me see what the price is. $39.99. Get all your six factions in that box. If you already have the base set and you just want to get the upgrade kit, it is currently out of stock at Miniature Market. It's $23.99. But keep an eye on TeamCovenant.com site because they were the original ones that had it. So if you got a bunch of cards from the past, you don't need to buy this original set. You just need to get the upgrade kit. And also Team Covenant uh, has a subscription to this too, to where anytime a new Phoenix Born comes out, a new deck comes out, you will automatically get it. The new die was announced and released this month with the new Phoenix Born. So I haven't tried that one yet, but that is out too. And a lot of the older decks are being redone and uh, you can get those. My gosh. In fact, a lot of them are right now over miniature market. Holy cow. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of those are in stock right now so there you go and while you're at miniature market be sure to go get those little pocket thingies with the velcro stuff in them they'll help carry your phoenix born decks and they got little pockets in them so you can stick your dice in them really cool and it's at miniaturemarket.com do they double pay for that one uh, do they pay for the first one i don't know after that crud we just did i doubt it mm. And we have come to another riveting end to rolling dice and taking names. Riveting? That's kind of a strong word. It's a word. It's all we need to worry about. We appreciate everybody hanging in there with us for the two hours and 25 minutes of what it takes to put a show together that gets compressed <laughs> down to this one's going to probably be about an hour and a half. And so, I don't know if I can compress it down that much. You might be able we, to. We covered a lot of content in this episode. We got to shorten up those intros. <laughs> so much stuff to talk about that's where all the fun stuff is that's where the food and the lawnmowers are and everything do you know if we got rid of half of that show could really get back down to its original dream of an hour hour and 15 minutes yeah that's true but then if all we did was talk about board games it would be an extremely short show and then nobody would listen anymore Uh, because our opinions on board games don't carry a lot of weight i don't know i've i have received some nice comments where you know if it's a game that like um don and i don't like some people have said you know that's a good litmus test for them yeah and that's one of those things with like uh where some people may love that because it has that mechanic like with spartacus right mm-hmm. if you're not into player interaction which may, maybe i'm not into then uh then spartacus may not be as much of an interest to you but then other people who like that memorable experience head pounding game they may get into it so no that totally makes sense. it doesn't make a game bad right no it's just that not every game is for everybody absolutely and some of the simpler games are right up my alley everybody's like how can you enjoy such a simple game like that hey 
Simple minds, simple pleasures. So I will say that this probably was one of our longer episodes. I don't know how that happened. I think it was because we got to play a lot of really cool games recently. And Tony, uh, this coming week or in the next couple weeks, we got, oh, we get to check out one of our favorite designers of all time. Martin Wallace has a game, Rocket Men, which has deck building, which I've heard some good things about. And... Uh, a new game from Z-Man that I've heard good things about. I believe it's a worker placement game. If, is that correct? Cryo? Cryo. It's a drone placement. So effectively a worker placement, right? Yes. You're sending the drones out. I, I love the theme of it, of the ship has sabotaged and crashed on a frozen planet, but yet underneath the frozen crust, there are these caverns that can take care of the life that you have brought with you. So you've got to get them off the ship. Or they freeze. I'm like, oh, I love this. Death and despair. I, I'm looking forward to it. I've made it through. Um, last night, I was watching the YouTube Watch It Played video on how to play it. I needed to fall asleep. And <laughs> <laughs> was it bad that it was, as Rodney was teaching me coin? I was like. Oh, we love the guy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was not the guy. I could not fall asleep on that one. I was having to pay attention on Cuba Libra. Yes. So no, I was watching, but then I was going to go cook dinner. So while I was making hamburger patties, he was telling me about how to, you know, set up the board game. And I was going through it. I'm like, this setup is going to take forever. So I got to get it ready, prepped to go. And also make sure that I want to play my round so I can teach it to y'all. But once again, I've said this before. And I'll say it again, it's easy. Oh, my Lord. Did y'all hear our review last time of, uh, what was that? Uh, evacuation. No, evacuation. Ex- excavation. You got me saying uh, excavation <laughs> earth. Mr. Y'all, this is easy. This is easy. This, I'm serious. This is easy. You're playing just a card. Play, just, just, just play a card. Thanks to you, that tainted that game for me. I'm sorry. It was good, though. It was, it was just something about it. It was, it was very interesting. I will say that. But, I mean, it was like, oh, uh, this, is, this is more of a brain burn than what I was expecting. It was a bait and switch. Because, I, I, to be honest, when I was reading the rules, I'm like, this isn't that hard. Look, it's big print. I can follow this. And then it was just like, boom, swapped on me. I was like, oh, my heavens. Especially when you got other people playing it. It suddenly became a deal. Something you had to figure out right then and there. And it became more than what which you originally read the rules of. So I'm excited to be getting Cryro. 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 And then I'm sure there'll be something else that hopefully will show up. I know we got our miniature market order in. I'm excited for you to get that. I've got a box in the car of your stuff. Excellent. We ordered from miniature market because at miniature market, you could put your stuff on hold, which has been since December until we got to the free shipping limit. Don't roll your eyes on me. Till we got to the free shipping limit, and then uh, we had it shipped out. But I will say this. What's that? I need to go kill me some monsters on some monster hunters, so it's time to roll some dice. And take some names. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And like I said, this was a live episode, and thanks for those who sat in there with us. Remember... The Golden Geek nominations are up right now, so if you wouldn't mind going and giving us a vote, we'd really appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, and join us next episode. We promise to try to keep it under two hours then. In three, two, one. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow, that was the uh, that was the Pepsi right there. Pepsi makes me burp too. Oh, that's right. We're live. Sorry about that, y'all. <laughs>